This is Jeff Steitzer, and you're listening to the Xbox Expansion Pass. Double kill, triple kill, overkill, killing spree, killing frenzy, Kilimanjaro, kill tacular, kill apocalypse, slayer, mmm, brains. <laughs> Welcome one, welcome all to episode 137 of the Xbox Expansion Pass, recorded on Sunday, June 26th, 2022. I am your host, Luke Lore, the Insipid Ghost. In this episode, we're welcoming Sniper Elite 5's lead designer, Ryan Baker, on to discuss his work at Rebellion in bringing Sniper Elite action to gamers. It is kill cams galore, let me tell you. Prior to that, it's been a light news week, and so we dive deep into the XEP mailbag. Enjoy. Yet another week of gaming is upon us and behind us. Welcome to XEP, discussing all things in the Gamerverse as they pertain to the Xbox ecosystem. And as I want to do each and every week, I like to start the show by offering words of kindness to those who have made my gaming week better. And this week, the words of kindness are extended to two different people whom I've had the pleasure of working with over the last few years, really since I started XEP, uh, Mr. Boomstick XL and Archimedes slash Boxenberger. Uh, I have gotten a chance to work with both of those gentlemen uh, recently, which has been pretty darn cool, all things considered, because we podcasted a great deal when the pandemic first hit uh, and my schedule allowed me to work from home. But, you know, obviously when I went back to work, I wasn't able to work with them uh, based on when they do their live shows. Mr. Boomstick XL does like 48 different shows uh, live during the week, all covering the world of Xbox and Archimedes. Uh, I mean, his, his YouTube name is Boxenberger. Now, he does very much the same in working with Boom as well as his own show. And I got to be on uh, his World of Gaming show recently as well. It was really fun. Great to reconnect with those guys. I think I'm going to be joining Boom at some point uh, in the next two weeks, provided my schedule allows it. And I just wanted to give them a good old shout out. If you are followers of them or you know them, please let them know uh, that they were recipients of the Words of Kindness and how much I appreciate their work uh, in covering games. It's always cool to see positive people in games. It's been a light news week this week. We've got one thing to cover, and that's about it before we dive into the mailbag and get to our interview this week, uh, probably as a result of the post-whatever E3 event like it was. Really, no new news came out. However, it was revealed this past week that 343 Industries is planning to put microtransactions into the Master Chief Collection. Now, this will raise eyebrows on a couple different fronts, and I want to go through just a little bit of the information here, uh, as well as what it might mean uh, after the fact. 343 has announced that it intends to add, or no, I'm sorry, that it could potentially be adding Spartan points to the Master Chief Collection as a way to uh, replace the current season points. Essentially, what it does is it unlocks your ability to get cosmetics in the Master Chief Collection. If indeed those microtransactions are implemented, they would be additive and it wouldn't affect how the players are currently earning points and leveling up in-game via the game's challenges. Uh, They believe they're going to have more information in the future on this. And I'm of two minds about this. On the on the, the one hand, the Master Chief Collection has been handled brilliantly. 
in the past like three, four years. Absolutely brilliantly. After an atrocious launch, 343 really did buckle down and repair the damage to the Halo franchise via the Master Chief Collection uh, and really has just a fantastic product in the MCC. In the idea of season points, they've added so many incredible unlockables that you get just for playing the game uh, that it, it has to be praised there. The idea of adding these unlockables in an additive way uh, via Spartan points that you can just purchase outright, I'm of two minds about. The reason I'm of two minds about it is on paper, I actually don't mind this. I'm fine with people that don't have the time but do have a little bit of extra cash, cash getting the cosmetics that they want via real money. That doesn't bother me anymore the way it used to. When it bothers me is when I see it used in a way that is uh, abusive or loot boxy or the prices are so egregious that it doesn't match the time investment and it breaks the game's time investment economy. The red flag that I get on this is simply put that it's 343 and they have truly and realistically botched the managing of microtransactions on Halo Infinite. I don't believe Halo Infinite's a disaster and I will call out frustration when I see it and I've talked about this in previous episodes, but the store on the MCC has been inconsistent and wavering and they consistently say regarding Halo Infinite that it takes time to make changes. Well, there's been seven months of having that store up and the prices were going in the right direction despite sparing offerings each week. And then recently for their most recent event, the prices were back up to like $20 for an armor. And that was way too much, way too much. And so it, it's a little bit odd to see because the MCC team has been so good at managing their community and giving content whereas the Halo Infinite team has not. The idea that they would seemingly take a step back for the MCC is worrisome on some levels. I do think there is a way to do it right. And I'm still, I will say many times, I'm fine with microtransactions in games. I've seen it used, used very well with certain games like uh, Fortnite does it extremely well with its bundles and still offering a fresh new game experience despite not losing its core gameplay elements. Um, I'm fine with that kind of stuff. And if people have the cash for it, I'm cool with it too, provided they're also offering in-game ways to unlock content. It's just it's just hazardous and worrisome when it's 343 involved because they've showed an inconsistent track record uh, in treating fans right in this particular aspect of the game. Every time we have to bring up Halo, uh, we have to acknowledge that the gameplay of Halo Infinite is great. The story uh, really nailed it for the campaign. There's a lot to be celebrated with how that game successfully launched despite you know pretty much disastrous introductions to the community. Um, and I absolutely love Halo Infinite, but it is worrisome, right? Like it, it, there's no way around the problem that their content has been far too little in the seven months that the multiplayer has been out and their their managing of the store has been downright pathetic, I would argue. And I think it's a fair statement to say that. Um, I have a lot of nerves when it comes to that. So interesting piece of news, something to watch. They say they may add it in, in the future. I mean, you can count on it. I, I'd bet you a hundred bucks that they would add purchasable microtransactions into that game because uh, they need a way to monetize their live service stuff. And we're seeing that happen with uh, sea of thieves we're seeing it happen with grounded in the future we're seeing that happen with state of decay 3 most likely uh yeah i mean it's going to happen and, and i understand and, and i'm fine with it provided it's not abused right so there's something to that for sure all right uh let's see i hope you guys enjoyed last week's episode with the red out 2 developers it was cool to have giuseppe franchi on 
for a second time. Really enjoyed having him. Really dope uh, game in Redout 2. I'm curious if any of you guys checked it out. Uh, if you haven't caught that interview, please go back and give it a listen. I really enjoyed talking with him. This week's interview is pretty dope with Sniper Elite. Uh, I had a really good time. I realize uh, that Sniper Elite kind of dances between this double and triple A element, but Sniper Elite 5 was, it was a triple A game. They really didn't nail it on that one, and it's in Game Pass, and you guys should check it out for sure. I really like that game a lot, a whole lot. Before we get to, to listener mail, though, let's see. What have I been, been, been checking out of late? I told you guys, I think, via Twitter that I'm currently reviewing the SteelSeries Arctis Nova Pro wireless headset. It's like their newest line uh, of Xbox-specific headsets. Very expensive, uh, very high quality. Um, They sent me one. I did not pay for it, so so know that. Like, Keep that in with a grain of salt. It is interesting to be using the Arctis Nova Pros because uh, it would be in replacement to my Arctis 7s. And... I have mixed feelings on the Nova Pros. There's a lot of good and a lot of frustration with it. And I want to get a little more time with it. I've had it for about a week and a half. I want a little bit more time before I share my thoughts. I want to read up on some of the audio file uh, reviews of it as well. I can tell you, I think the headset's extremely good and you wouldn't be going wrong to, to get it. Like you'd be getting your money's worth. But there's a few like little things that are irking me here and there. And I, I, want, to, I want to get second and third opinions before I throw full endorsement, you know, via XEP my way or your way via me. You know what I'm trying to say. Um, but I like it. It's a good headset for sure. But I think I was partial to my Arctis 7s. I'm still not 100% there. I've been using it for a bit. Uh, but it's clearly a very good headset in, in that world, right? I will also let you know that we're going to be having an engineer from Steel Series on the show at some point in the future. And what's kind of cool about that is uh, that has paved the way. Turtle Beach has sent me their latest headset. I think it's the uh, get it you know, strap in for this name the 700 gen max 2 headset from from turtle beach uh, and that has paved the way for me to check out that headset as well as have one of the engineers for that headset on the show so it's kind of a cool departure from the voice actor designer uh, producer element of the gaming world into more of a hardware based element we might even do that the, the same thing for a gaming mouse at some point just to see how that works with game pass for pc Uh, And let me know if you guys like them, like, right, I wanted to branch a little bit away from the game development side as far as our interviews go. uh, And and tell me what you think, because, you know, am I the right guy to be reviewing, you know, the the best headset for the little piece element of of a of an audiophile breakdown? No, but I am a casual gamer who who has a little bit of spending money to check out different types of hardware. And that's the approach that I'm taking with to kind of go with this stuff so let me know how you feel about that stuff and if you like the hardware element of of interviews and whatnot once they happen um i can reach out to more right like i can try to see if that's that's something that we want to have on the show a bit more often controller designers that kind of stuff um but i wanted to test it out and and see right just something to see uh how it goes but yeah let, let me know what you guys think once those things do come to pass but you'll hear my full review of the the arctis nova pro wireless next week and then probably two three weeks after that my thoughts on the turtle beach headset and and, you know you can kind of put piece together how that's going to work uh let's see here i don't think there's any more as far as interviews that you guys need to know about at this time Uh, i'm reviewing a horror game called phobia saint dinfa hotel it's kind of a a horror game in the in the vein of the old resident evils, but without quite the tank controls really enjoying it so far, but that's all I can say at this point. You'll hear good thoughts on that one next week as well. 
Well, I think it's a good point to get into listener mail at this point. Alrighty, our first question comes from Mr. Stubbs Gaming. Stubb, what's up, man? I hope you're doing well, buddy. He wants to know how I'm liking Fall Guys free to play now that it's over on Xbox. So, Stubbs, I have been holding off on Fall Guys free to play, uh, Fall Guys in general on Xbox until the Halo content comes, which is this upcoming week. In fact, by the time most of you are listening, I will probably have been and be playing Fall Guys uh, in my Master Chief attire or whatnot. But I got to say, I'm watching a lot of friends play it, friends that I wouldn't have expected to play Fall Guys, and that game looks fun. It looks fun. It looks cool. The ability to customize your little Fall Guy and put them in different outfits. I've seen Doom Slayer outfits and stuff. Like, yo, I'm in. I, I think that's really fun uh, and really cool. Halo, uh, not Halo, um, Fortnite does that really well. And given that it's Epic Games now with Fall Guys, like, I'm in on that. Um, so that's what I've been waiting on. But I'm I'm excited to dive in on that for sure. Uh, God help my wallet if they start doing the Fortnite method. Because if the game is as fun as it looks, and my friends and crew jump into it, and I'm spending money the way I do in Fortnite... All right, next question comes from Court Lalonde. He says, would you consider this year so far to be the best for indie devs to shine since the release of AAA games has been so sparse? That's a great question, uh, Court, and and shout out to you and, and, uh, you know, your buddy Matt over there. You guys are awesome and rocking it. The best chance for indie games being in 2022 as opposed to recently? Sure, I suppose so. Indies have long been the lifeblood of hardcore gaming, and it's often a failing on content creators to to spotlight that element of it. But really, since work from home started and AAA releases staggered and came in waves and, and delayed, indies have continued to do what they do because they were always in a work from home state. Um, it's the best chance for them? Sure, I guess you could say that. I don't know that I would consider it better or worse or anything else it feels like it's par for the course for indies to continue to come out and surprise us and oftentimes the best games are indie experiences because our expectations for triple a experiences are just so high that we forget to have fun with them um you know when i think of indie right now i think about stuff that i have in my backlog to try out tunic being a good example of that i'm so ready for tunic and i have it and i could play it i just i've got other stuff that i've been checking out instead um Look at the recent success of Shredder's Revenge, right? That's an indie studio uh, in in Mindshare, but it's Tribute Games, and they partner up with uh, .emu. And, you know, I get it when people wonder, you know, what does that mean? But really, I think, sure, absolutely, it's a, it's a good year for indies to do uh, what they do best and shine in ways that, that they don't always get to. I also have to credit and thank Game Pass for doing a good job of spotlighting indies continuously, repetitively, and without fail. The Game Pass team seems to find great indies to put into the, the service and spotlight different different teams and different titles. I think that's really, really cool. I don't know if anyone caught last week during the, the Red Out interview. I asked, I asked him uh, if he ever thought about diving or, or putting Red Out 2 in a service, and he could not have said no fast enough. And it caught me off guard because so often you hear people that are celebrating being in Game Pass. You'll hear it from Ryan Baker about Sniper Elite. But just happy so quickly was like, no, Red Out 2 never was considered for that. Like, oh, okay. Um, you know, in, in the idea of, of indies going well, uh, we had, I think it was Blaze Knight write in. Let me scroll for a minute. Yep, Blaze Knight wrote in and asked about the summer game demos that came uh, this past few weeks, uh, which ones I checked out and which ones I was interested in. And, and that's another good 
time to point out that Xbox is doing a good job spotlighting indies, and I'm appreciative of it. Um, to answer Blaze Knight's question, Terra of the Hemosaurus was the game that I, I most enjoyed from this summer game demos. That's a game by Lauren Lemke. He did the Super Blood Hockey title, if you guys have not checked that out before. Um, it is a super fun just destruction game based on kind of the old rampage titles where you're this giant monster that a cult has brought back to cleanse the world of bad humanity. Uh, and you can kick little pixelated people as you knock down buildings, you can eat them, you can kick cars and throw them into different buildings very much the way you could if you were playing the old rampage games. I, I'm a big fan of Kaiju style games, which we don't get a lot of uh, in a, in a Western showcase style event usually they show up in like jrpgs and such uh, but i really like terror of the hemosaurus i hope that game goes well i've debated having lauren lemke on um at some point maybe i'll reach out to him but uh that was one of my favorite games and and to kind of continue i downloaded a lot of those demos checked out stuffed polyfury metal hellsinger got a lot of attention it's that music game that looks like doom eternal uh broken pieces i think it's pronounced broken yeah uh, severed steel uh Batora last haven uh, and spider heck all look kind of cool. I mean, it, it's fun when you see that kind of stuff in there. I'm not one for demos. Typically I'm not a big demo player, but I did want to spotlight and showcase a few of them just for the sake of supporting those developers. Um, but I tend to wait for full release. I don't even play a lot of early and preview games. Um, I, I'm, I know we had, if you guys remember back to 2020, we had Adam Brenke on when grounded first launched into early access and got a million players in a week. That was super cool. Well, now Grounded is like almost at its 1.0 release. This September, it's going to have its 1.0 release. And uh, maybe I need to have Adam back on the show, right? Like, I think that would be a really cool thing to do. Uh, Fenrir wrote in on that same topic. Man, I'm crushing these transitions by accident here. Fenrir wrote in, he says, does Grounded deserve some the same fanfare of a first-party release, or does it not count due to its preview status? Thinking of the no first-party in 2022 narrative. That's a great question, Fenrir, and I don't think it deserves the same first-party release because it is working with uh, a different group. It's it, and it's it was it's being made by Obsidian, and it's being published by Xbox, but it was also published in conjunction with another group, which is absolutely escaping me at the moment, and I'm so embarrassed. But Grounded has been in early access for two years. There have been twelve updates already released into the game. It's going to have its 1.0 in September. Uh, it is a budget title. It's going to be launching at 30 bucks uh, over on, on, I'm sorry, it is 30 bucks right now on Xbox. If you want it in early access, it's 24 bucks. If you have game pass, which is cool, the game will release in a game pass. So you don't need to buy it. And on steam, it's going to be a full release at $40 uh, come, come September ground. It's a weird one because at this point you've gotten 10 million players to check out the backyard and there's a lot of things they've added to it but I don't think it feels like a first party release. I don't think it feels that way. I don't know if we'll see Xbox go all out on marketing, but we really didn't get a whole lot of coverage on it in this like faux E3 event. Uh, and that no first party in 2022 narrative, I think would be a disservice if all they had was grounded. If they, if they used that first party game releases in 2020 narrative and they spotlighted things like grounded and death loop, then I think it would be a old games old type thing. We've already seen these games. It wouldn't be fresh and new. And the narrative would actually work against them, which would be a shame, right? Like, I think that's a silly bit of logic to go on. Uh, but I do think that is the case in, in many times when it comes to gamers and the way they receive news. 
So, you know, take that for what you will. But I think it's cool that Groundnet has gotten 10 million players. I'm really excited for their 1.0 launch. And if I can get my friend group to dive in, i check it out again. We're back in on Sea of Thieves pretty hard now. Um, shout out to Sea of Thieves, man. Oh, those new Athena missions, the Veil missions, really, really cool. But I am so desperate, so desperate for a PvE setup in Sea of Thieves. They've got those missions that are great, but sometimes I just want an uninter- uninterrupted voyage. And down at this point, I'd pay real money for it. Like I love, I love Sea of Thieves, but I'm a little tired of the PvP. I just that's not my that's not why I play the game. And there are a lot of pirates out there who only exist to go attack other pirates. And it's like, yeah, that's not how I want to enjoy the game. Uh, but there are a lot of people that do. So cheers to them for that. Logan, uh, leave me alone. If you're on the seas with me and you see my ship out there and you're not on my crew, you don't you dare come attack me. I don't like it. I'm not a fan of that. How dare you? Next question comes. From Mr. Brendan Myers, he says, let's see, what does he say? He says, what would the best Xbox game series to be on other platforms and why? I have an idea, but I want you to share your answer and I want to share mine with you after. Brendan, this is one of those really fun hypothetical questions. I think the logical answer here is Sea of Thieves, but upon reflection, I think it's actually a bad move if they were to do that. They've done a great job at putting their titles onto PC, both Sony and Xbox um, are really, really in on that. And I think that's cool. I like that. But I don't think it would actually serve Xbox well to put Sea of Thieves over on PlayStation. Uh, now, I think there is a, a logic and a good benefit in this hypothetical to having more players to check out your title. Like, obviously, that's the, the way to do it. But Sea of Thieves is the most successful live service title that Xbox has in its pantheon right now and it's a full price game over in the pc place you can check it out via game pass you can check it out on xbox uh via game pass but also you can buy the game at full price so i don't think if they're having such success with it there you want to add in an element uh to, maybe my logic's flawed here and it would help see if thieves sure but i'm trying to like fight my own logic i wonder if in this fun hypothetical halo infinite's not the right answer you put Halo Infinite over on the PlayStation space and let that thing uh, do numbers there with its free-to-play element. I think that might be the right answer. Once you get Halo Infinite's store fixed in terms of multiplayer, you put the multiplayer over on PlayStation and keep the single-player stuff exclusive. That might be a way to do it. Uh, Grounded is another good example of like what a game that might do really well on PlayStation. In fact, Grounded is probably the answer. Grounded is probably the best answer. Um, but these hypotheticals, like it's... You know what I mean? Like every time you give a first party exclusive to your competition, you're enhancing that game's player base, but you are removing an incentive for people to pick up your service and platform. But Xbox doesn't seem to be overly opposed to that. I mean, they're putting their their stamp onto smart TVs where all you need is a controller and it could be a PlayStation controller to play their games on it. You just got to log in. Um, and there's a future where that's going to happen, where you're going to be on a PlayStation 6, maybe even a PlayStation 5, and you just log into your Xbox account. I mean, the tech is there. You could do that right now. It's Sony that's, that's likely stopping that because uh, Xbox has shown they're willing to do that stuff. Um, so I don't know, man. It's one of those fun hypotheticals. And like my answer might be Sea of Thieves. It might be Grounded. It might be Halo. Um, you know, maybe the best of the best answer is the third time I've said that is Flight Simulator right? Like flight sim might be the one, right? I, I don't know, man. Uh, it's a fun question though. I dig it. Like it really is a fun question, but uh, I'm a big fan of, of 
more people playing and rising tides left all boats kind of thing. But, you know, what are you going to do there? Uh, this question came from Anonymous. They wanted to stay anonymous. And I, I guess it's the nature of the question is why. Um, they noticed that I'd been picking up all of the old James Bond games on Xbox 360. And I and I did this part intentionally. Um, I cheekily put GoldenEye Reloaded at the top of my stack in the picture that I put out there. Uh, and I said that I was doing research. And they wanted to know if I know anything about GoldenEye coming to Xbox. Um, I don't know if I've said this before on the show. I, I repeatedly remind people that I'm not an insider, but by way of talking to people and interviewing people, um, most of which you guys hear the interviews, but sometimes they don't, you don't hear them. Uh, cause like we keep them private cause it turns out they shared they something they didn't want to share and whatnot. Um, sometimes I hear things right at last I heard, which is not recent information. It's like two, three months old. Last I heard regarding James Bond and Goldeneye coming back to Xbox and launching cause those achievements are being unlocked. Uh, the problem was not necessarily with Nintendo or Rare or Xbox. The problem was with the Bond license. If you remember, uh, in 007 Legends and in GoldenEye Reloaded on Xbox 360, they swapped out the Daniel Craig model uh, for Pierce Brosnan or for Sean Connery or whatever it was in the respective Bond movie that they were were spotlighting. They put Daniel Craig in there. If you do a GoldenEye remaster, what do you do with Pierce Brosnan and Daniel Craig? And if you're unaware, the Bond license is an absolute mess for which studios have it, which don't. And it's it's really uh, a, it's a miracle that we got all the Daniel Craig movies that we did, which, by the way, those are my favorite Bond films. If you watch them start to finish in release order, they tell an extremely complete narrative. Uh, really, really good. And No Time to Die was just a masterpiece of Bond film. And I absolutely loved it. But you guys should... Check that out if you haven't already. Just great storylines. But it was the Bond license that was holding up the release of this GoldenEye uh, remaster or re-release. I don't know if it is a remaster or re-release. I'm really not sure. Um, but that was last I heard. I don't know Mr. Uh, or Mrs. Anonymous person that DMs me asking me about GoldenEye. Um, but that's what I've heard. And, and who knows? There are probably better insiders for you to ask for sure. All right. Last question comes from... Sorry, two, two, two more questions. This question comes from Todd Oxtra. He wants to know, are there any games beyond Gotham Knights that have me excited for this fall? Absolutely, Todd. Yes, there are a ton of games coming out this fall. And it was really upon reflection that I realized there was a lot that I am looking forward to. Uh, but I don't know that they all stay in the fall, given how crowded October has become. I mean, October is packed, is packed for sure. Uh, Callisto Protocol is one of the games I'm looking forward to this fall and, and winter. Modern Warfare 2, I'm excited for. I am very excited for Modern Warfare 2 in a way that I wasn't expecting to be, but not the multiplayer. Not the multiplayer. Halo Infinite still has me multiplayer right now, um, but there is plenty of time between now and then. Midnight Suns, I'm interested in, though I don't think I'm going to like it as much as I like other titles. I prefer action in my superhero games and it looks like this is a an XCOM style game and they've yet to show gameplay of but it does look cool and it has a lot of cool characters so I'm sure I'll give it a whirl uh, at some point Sonic Frontiers is a game I am looking forward to even though it is not getting previewed well there's something about a morbid curiosity that I'm interested to check out at some point I need to get Sonic Origins but I can't bring myself to spend the money on it and Sega never got back to me as far as an interview uh, with that team uh, I do need to check out Sonic Origins now that it's out. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, but Sonic Frontiers, I, morbid curiosity. I want to know. You know, I just want to know. That same morbid curiosity leads me to scorn. 
uh, that game's in Game Pass, thank God, because I don't want to pay money for it. Um, but I, I want to try that game because it was spotlighted so heavily when the Xbox was first announced. But it looks gross, and I'm not really in for gross, but it, visual fidelity is cool. So let's see if it pushes the Xbox Series X. You know, Star Trek Resurgence is another one that I'm stoked for. Uh, their release date got moved around a little bit, thus I didn't get to have them on the show when I thought that I would. But I am looking forward to that game. And then the last one, which... If the release dates hold, uh, Avatar Frontiers of Pandora. I love the Avatar world. Uh, really like James Cameron's Avatar a lot. And I'm curious to see what massive entertainment and Ubisoft have put together. If it's a Ubisoft game in that world, I'm in. I'm in for that. I'm over Assassin's Creed. I'm over the Animus and the the different worlds and what they do with Assassin's Creed. But I'm, st- you know, like Pandora, being in, being in the world of the Navi, Absolutely. I would play a Ubisoft game in that setting. That's what I would want to do, actually. That would be the fresh uplift that I would would take for it. Flying around on different creatures, uh, being a part of the ecosystem, battling mechs. Yeah, that'd be dope. I'm in on that one. Last question. Mr. Edward Varnell. Edward Varnell, who puts me on my toes every week with his weird and wacky questions. Um, Edward, every week I say that, you know, and, and I love you to death, but you always find a way to up the ante. You asked, do you think that some of Microsoft's emotional story moments will become noticeable or do you, or do games like tell me why uh, kind of carry that banner and they get ignored? Edward, I don't know what you're talking about, man. There are some incredibly good emotional moments. If you've played Halo Infinite's campaign, there is one of the most emotional moments in the world where your faceless hero of Master Chief is sitting next to, uh, the pilot and the pilot is confessing some terrible things that he has done. And chief looks at him and he says, we all make mistakes. That's what makes us human. And in that moment, there's a weight of the halo franchise where it's acknowledging that chief is still human himself. Something that's been debated and frustrated. Uh, those two characters are dealing with massive loss of just being bodied by by their enemy and just being destroyed and devastated and having to try and rebuild humanity um and it's not a run and gun shooter and it's it's a more patient master chief it's a thoughtful introspective one and that's a very emotional time gears of war has done this as well with kate and with marcus and jd having these grand emotional moments and i don't think games like tell me why are the only games carrying the flag for emotional moments i don't think that because tell me why deals with marginalized communities and LGBTQ plus that that's what makes it emotional. I don't think that's the only way you get emotion out of your games. Loss and pain and combat can provide emotion. It's not always running gun in a lot of the titles that might spotlight or put trailers up to showcase it. I'm thinking about sea of thieves right now. And those have some incredibly emotional storytellings. You have to dig to find them to play their tall tales. And there's this this shroud, forgive the pun, CFDs fans, uh, that covers up a lot of those emotional moments. But the stories that are in there are romantic and beautiful and uh, ones of redemption. And they're extremely emotional. And and that's really cool. But But they don't necessarily showcase that element. That's for the people to dive into. I think Tell Me Why, your example, is a game that sells itself because it's emotional, whereas Halo and Sea of Thieves and Gears, they sell themselves on their action and their discovery, but the emotion is still in there. It's just a matter of how you market the game, but those moments are in there. 
Um, and not for nothing, I've had some of my most anger-filled moments, my most happy moments in Sea of Thieves because of the nature of that game. Uh, I've had some very introspective moments with the Halo franchise in combination with the games and the books. And so I, I think the issue with the question is it's a matter of how the game is marketed and what the experience that comes from it is. Nobody would argue that you are marketing Halo to be a massively emotional franchise. But if you go back and look at some old trailers, I mean, they do, they do showcase that. It's just a matter of, are you willing to listen? You know, are you willing to, to be a part of that experience in the way that would make you feel emotional? I think that's the big difference. That's the big difference. Alrighty guys, that's it for me this week. I'm going to send you over to an interview with Ryan Baker from rebellion to discuss sniper elite five. I want to give a shout out to several of you. Um, I saw the tweets where you guys tweeted and let people know that you heard about their game because of XCP, Shredder's Revenge, and you did the same with Red Out. That's the stuff that gives XCP life. That's the stuff that gives me excitement. When I see you tweet, hey, X developer, I heard about you or I heard your interview on the Xbox expansion pass. Love it. Checking out your game because of it. That means the world to me, guys. That's the stuff that helps me so much with PR companies, with uh, developers with with gaining ground, I guess you would say, and getting to talk to more people. So thank you. Thank you for that. Have a wonderful rest of your week. Enjoy the interview. Take care. All righty, guys, we are very fortunate now to welcome on Ryan Baker from Rebellion, lead designer for Sniper Elite 5. Ryan, thank you so much for joining me today. You're welcome. It's my pleasure. It is my pleasure to have you on. Congratulations on the release now of Sniper Elite 5. The game is out and seemingly uh, quite well received. I've enjoyed it greatly for sure. Uh, how has the team felt since the launch of the title? Yeah, it's been great. It's It's always really really fun when uh you finally get to get the the game you've been working on for many years out to the public and you get to actually talk about it and see how it's received and see what people do with the game and it's it's uh yeah it's brilliant and it's just we're all very happy about how well it's been received and um seeing what people do as well because no matter how much you plan how much you think yeah okay this is what people are going to do when you've got a game that's got a lot of choice um, and options for the player. People always manage to do these very uh, interesting and exciting uh, player choices uh, as they go through the levels. And it's just great to see what people come up with and uh, watching all the various videos that people post online. It's uh, it's brilliant, really good fun. Well, well, let's let's t let's top on that then. Uh, are you guys when you're when you're checking out gameplay uh, that that players are putting out there from Sniper Elite Five? Are you in streams watching, uh, laughing up a storm? Do you guys have notebooks to your side, taking notes on on little things? What's the experience like for you watching players play your game? Oh, definitely. We we um, always read what the community's saying about our games, about our previous games, what they're hoping for new games. But then, yeah, as soon as the a new game's out we're in there watching streams checking out forums um seeing what people what people like and seeing seeing the things that they'd like to what improvements they'd like to see as well but it's it's just great watching people play properly there's nothing can quite beat watching a new player go in seeing them engage with the things we really hoped they would uh, they would enjoy um and then also seeing the things that they do just differently like oh yeah 
we, we're pretty sure that everyone's going to take this right path here and then finding that so many people end up taking different routes and doing different things and it's 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 really great fun and we we're always there taking notes figuring out why do they do this how do they do that using it for future projects but also using it for um anything that we think we can can improve with the the support for the current game as well um it's it's good to go out there and make sure that the games is uh as good as possible and we're, we're releasing a patch uh, very soon actually another patch to update various bits and pieces of the game it's uh that's one of the good things about games these days is it's very easy to well i say very easy there's a lot of work goes into it but um <laughs> to update these games as you go along and make sure they're they're the best they can be well i'd, I'd imagine it's more and more complex certainly with this being the fifth game in the series it might be difficult to keep ideas fresh you know and 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 uh, keeping this series alive, but it certainly seems that you all have done that with, with various elements of Sniper Elite 5. How did you go about distinguishing this game from the previous entries uh, in this series, but still staying true to the Sniper Elite formula? Yeah, it's always a a challenge because you know we know what the basis of the game is when you're making making a sequel. You know the, the sort of parts we want to keep. Um, and I think we've worked we've worked hard on from back on especially the difference between uh sniper elite v2 and to sniper elite 3 we're like well, we want to open things up a little bit more and then we keep taking that and growing it uh for the jump from sort of sniper elite 3 to 4 we went much more sandboxy and we've we've pushed that again this time around but making sure we keep the the sniping as a core part of the game obviously mm-hmm. but then really sort of leaning into more of the sides of a sort of core loop of observe plan execute um and really finding ways for players to give players more choice that's something that's uh, a core to the game um giving players more options of how they want to solve these problems uh taking away necessarily the reliance on that sniper rifle so people can go more stealth there's uh there's much more choice there of people being able to go yep yeah, right we're gonna i'm gonna stealth through this this bunker this area uh take out the enemies or maybe they want to stay back and shoot all these people from a distance and they might decide they want to do that carefully, taking out somebody as uh, they're not looking and then taking off the other stragglers until they've narrowed it down to like one remaining enemy. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas other people, they're more than happy to just go running in with a machine gun and shoot everything, lob a grenade in. And that's that's something that we just, with each game, we wanted to just expand on, improve on, um, give more choice and options. And the more options you get, the more combinations you end up with of how people um how people play the game and i think that always keeps that'll always keep it fresh when you can and it can feel like it's your own playthrough it's uh, you're not being railroaded at all uh, but then on top of that we have the usual thing of sort of improve refining the gameplay improving the visuals and stuff like that which we're always making great leaps and bounds with every game we've got um hugely talented teams like the art team with their photogrammetry and all the stuff that audio team do rehauling the ai lots of things to the some people wouldn't instantly notice to the player but under the hood make a big difference to how the game feels and plays but rebellion have also been really good with taking risks as well with stuff like adding in the bullet cam that's obviously become a uh, a core part of the game one of the most well-known parts of the game um, and keeping that in a way that stays interesting, expanding it to 
bigger, larger sandbox levels over the past few games. But then taking the extra leap this time around, we've added in invasion mode, which again, for us, is something we haven't done before, but it's taking taking risks with each new iteration of the game, um, working hard, and ultimately they, they pay off. We work hard enough, we, we, we play test things, uh, everybody's involved in the whole team on sort of the creative side and the implementation side so it's it's always good to get that feedback and we we change things a lot game development is a is a constant sort of fluctuation of yep we've got these things and then ultimately over time they morph and change into something that's uh that's even better than we than we originally envisioned and yeah for this time around it's that invasion mode has been our sort of risk take that we took this time around and people seem to be really engaging that with that and really enjoying it it's, it's brilliant i've got that on my docket to talk about in a few minutes for sure because i have a lot of questions there uh about how you guys implemented and went about it but i want to roll back the tape just a little bit i'm an avid sniper elite player myself and i would encourage any listener to check the the series out i absolutely adore it but that core element of observe, plan, and execute seems to be my favorite aspect of it. And for context, Ryan, I'm a terrible, terrible player. <laughs> I, I've played on easy mode. I, I absolutely appreciate what you guys have done in Sniper Elite 5 with the adjustable and, and customizable difficulty elements of the game. Uh, you managed to keep that observe, plan, execute loop in there but allow the player to customize their experience really well. Was it was it older titles that taught you guys that? Was it titles outside of the Sniper Elite series that taught you that? How did you guys go about creating those difficulty levels? I think it's uh, a lot of it does come from our previous iterations of the game. Um, but we do. We look at all sorts of other games. Uh, we're making games. We, we We're doing this because we absolutely love games in general so we play mm -hmm. a lot of games you take a lot of inspiration from all sorts of areas and um accessibility is obviously a, a very big topic over recent years um with game development and games in general and part of that is making the game more accessible to people and that's something that as i say player choice is a key thing in sniper elite series and to rebellion as a whole they, they like to have give people the options of how they want to go about doing things um, and the difficulty is part of that. We want people, we didn't want to just have the easy, medium, hard, or just no difficulty at all. And just saying, yep, this is the way it's meant to be played. This is what you've got to do. We want as many people as possible to play. And just when you're starting with, this is a sniper game, shooting a sniper rifle is always tough because you tend to be doing it at long distances. And there's all the semi-realistic sort of gunplay mechanics um stuff that we put we put into there with our bullet drop and our wind but we we want to make sure that people come in and they aren't just they don't find it too difficult or they aren't turned off by how uh, the learning curve for some of those features so it's important to us to to add those difficulty levels and then keep expanding on it because we had we had various difficulties in previous iterations of the game Mm -hmm. And this time around, we've added a very easy option because we still found some people found it tough on the on the easy difficulty in Sniper Elite 4. So we're like, okay, what, what can we do to to make this that a little bit simpler, make it more forgiving for people so they can just go in and enjoy the gunplay, enjoy the power fantasy of being this elite commando going in and uh, 
taking on a whole army's worth of enemy soldiers. Um, but then this also goes the other way. There's we've got a we've got a lot of great hardcore fans that want it to be really difficult, and that's where we get our authentic mode comes in. And um, there's a lot of people that love playing that. And I will admit, I I could not complete the game on that mode. It is so difficult. It's so tough. Losing your, your aim assist. Level. <laughs> no, exactly. It's so so difficult to do. But watch. This is some of the videos we love watching of people playing through authentic, and it's just like, wow, how how are they making that 500 meter shot without any aids? And often they'll do it without even missing a couple of shots first. Like if I when I play authentic, I'm like, right, take a shot. Okay, that's gone way wide. Right, I'll take another shot. Okay, gone the other way. And it takes me mm -hmm. many, many shots. <laughs> Normally by the time I finally hit somebody, everybody in the area knows where I am and what I'm doing. But uh yeah, again, we just want people to to have those options, have those choices of how do you want to play the game? How difficult do you want the game to be? And then when you're in there, how do you want to play it? Do you want to play really stealthy sneaking around and like we say the observe plan execute do you want to just snipe move around from the distance taking everybody out or do you just want to run in going as loud as you want and rambo it um mm. and it all just falls under that repellent philosophy of just yeah giving player choices and uh the custom difficulty helps with that as well because authentic may be a little bit too much for some people but they might want some of the elements there like getting rid of the hud it makes it instantly tougher but more immersive but they might want some of the support for those sniper shots and things um and it's adding more and more options there just to give people that choice so they can play and enjoy the game as much as they can you've used the term sandbox a couple times here and i don't know if it's my memory of the other sniper elite games most recently for uh, in terms of mainline but it feels to me like this sandbox is far more complex and intricate than any of the other ones before. And I think you've alluded to that. Uh, when you're creating this power fantasy of this elite commando going in and sniping out entire armies, uh, is it this? And this question comes from a listener, Famous Seamus. Is it difficult to balance being historically accurate, but still making the game like fun and the gameplay entertaining? Yeah, it's always it's always a sort of a fine line that we're balancing because um, we, we pride ourselves on basing a lot of what we do on sort of World War II reality, the, all the weapons we have, mm -hmm. even with our deep weapon customization, everything we have in our customization are things that were available at the time. Realistically, no one probably could attach them to all these different weapons in the ways we've got, but an engineer could do that sort of thing technically it's, it's believe it's got to be believable even if it wasn't something that would really have happened at the time sure um and it's the same with our with things like our we had in the bullet drop we add in the wind affects the bullets um and we we exaggerate those slightly because the the wind and the the bullet drop wouldn't happen at the the distances to the extent that we do it but we we gamify it slightly um, and obviously we gamify things with uh, with how many shots the player can take before they're severely injured and dying mm -hmm. or anything like that. Um, but then we take away some of these moments in the aforementioned authentic difficulty. It becomes much tougher. Um, but it's, yeah, it's always a, 
it's tough to figure out exactly where we where we fall. We have a lot of conversations on is this is this real enough or is this too real? Is it is it is it fun to play? And we do a lot of um, prototyping and playing around with with numbers and things like that in the background to figure out what works what works best. And then there are certain things that we're like, yeah, this this is cool, but this is a bit too far for some people. Let's shove that into authentic. And then the people that really want that kind of um, difficulty can experience that and enjoy that. Um, it's good fun, though, looking at all the reference, like World War II. There's a huge amount of variety of stuff there. Even when it comes to our locations of the levels, a lot of the locations are based on real world places. Often they're an amalgamation of multiple places. Um, there's level three, which is our spy academy, which is set on the set on the island with the big abbey at the top, mm-hmm. and that's based on a real world location. And there's there's when you read up, there's so much research that you can do and things written about World War Two. And there were rumors that secretly the the location it's based on in real life is um, that there was a secret spy academy there and people were being trained there. And when you look into it more realistically, that probably didn't happen but it was enough for us to be like that would be cool though if that was the case and that did happen and we we end up using that to sort of twist it into our story and add the elements of believability to to everything we do and keeping it keeping it fun i guess uh if we try to make it too realistic it it then only really sort of appeals to a much more niche amount of players Right. Well, I mean, our our, our main uh, hero, Fairborn, Carl Fairborn, he has traveled in previous games to North Africa, to Italy, and now we're in France. Uh, you talked about photogrammetry and, and kind of this balance between believability and whatnot. In finding these locales, uh, what makes a good a good location for a level or for the entire game uh, versus one that you would say no to? I think initially we... With um, Sniper Elite 3, with going to Africa, that was a part of World War II that, especially at the time, hadn't been um, shown in video games very often. And the same with Sniper Elite um, 4, set in Italy. That's something that people don't see very much, but they've also got very um, iconic visuals to the side of them. Uh, they're very, they stand out massively. And then we are following for 3, 4, and 5 they uh, do follow a timeline and they're, they're, they're progressive. And um, and we got to, to France again for Sniper Elite 5. We're like, yeah, we do. We really want to go into, into France now. It's much more well-known. Um, but we believe there's some really interesting places we've got the, with all the occupation from the Axis forces with things like the Atlantic Wall, these big bunkers, all these really interesting and iconic locations. Um, we knew we could do something special and often it starts with what could we initially what what can grab you very quickly and in our first level coast that is a it's it's the coastline it's the beach and it's the iconic oh yeah this looks like the sort of places that they uh they stormed on d-day you've got all those defenses along the way there's lots of bunkers very regularly put along to create that atlantic wall um and then you've got the hedgerows and the fields and all of these things are instantly iconic and interesting to look at. And then you go into like the 
second level and we have a huge sort of chateau that's mm-hmm. instantly interesting to look at and as soon as we when we find something that's exciting for us and we're like oh yeah that that looks great initially but also we could do this kind of gameplay we could do this thing and we visited a load of these real places um especially the artists and the level designers a lot of them traveled around visited places and there were some of them you just get this instant feeling of like oh wow this this could be awesome we could be doing this and straight away before we've even decided exactly what we're doing in the game you're there imagining like what we can't do oh we could have him going down this way we could have him traversing up here climbing that and it ends up uh informing these exciting moments and often we'll we'll mix various parts together from these different locations we found like there'll be a cool bunker perhaps and we'll take that from one place and the coupole's got a really cool dome on it so we'll take that part and put it in here and there's all these uh just fantastic locations that you can a lot of them because of the way they're built with the huge amounts of concrete there's all these um axis created locations but they're still there because they're they're huge and they're fortified for a reason at the time so they're still standing they're a bit overgrown some of them but some are turned into museums and various things but there's there's that great bit of imagination that comes in straight away so you see it, inspiration and uh it's it can often be the difficulty of trying to decide which ones are we going to keep which ones are we going to stick with because there's there's such a wealth of um options there and sure. ultimately it it goes down to which which moments can we put together what do we think we can get a really a really strong level in where can we give the players something that will be exciting will be a bit different but also will be great to look at. Well, there's been so much in Sniper Elite 5 that has just caught my eye with the visuals and the aesthetics, and it seems to me that you guys really have upped the ante from the previous Sniper Elite series. I mean, it's just, it it looks fantastic. I've been playing it on Series X uh, and S for any listener that, that's curious. Um, I have to say, and I'm sure this isn't news to you, without a doubt, my favorite aspects of the Sniper Elite games and the spinoffs with Zombie Army uh, are the the x-ray kill cams and the the tricks that you guys do with the camera how much fun is it for you guys to work on that and develop they're great they're the they were they're amazing thing the kill cams they somehow they've got the magic just right that they they never manage to get boring they always stay with their sort of gory glory as i see a lot of people describing it it's they're gross and disgusting but people can't help but watch them and see what's going on and i think a lot of that is because it's it's your kill cam it's your sense of ownership and a celebration of your skill and they are they are good fun to work on seeing all these things once we start getting them in because we quite often we have them from the, the previous versions of the game but then we get these extra fidelity in there um extra layers to it and it becomes more more satisfying seeing yes i've managed to pull off this excellent shot as soon as you see that carl's taking the shot and you're like, yes i've got this person then seeing it go through and seeing where did i hit them did i hit them in the body did i hit them in the face um i imagine for some of the some of the vfx team there's a lot of gory stuff they have to work on <laughs> there's a lot of not very nice models they have to make making all these internal organs and things but then once it all comes together it's uh it's fantastic and it's good fun and there's a lot of uh, a lot of fun in the office with people playing around things a lot of shared videos of um, people making these incredible skill shots and and obviously the sort of the 
the fan favorite with the testicle shots. That's something that uh, very early on was an initial thing. It's I mean, ah, do we, can we do this? Do we do this? Is it too far? But it still still hasn't lost its magic with a lot of the lot of the fans and players of the game. They still love going for that. It's always fun when you take a take one of our games to game shows and you get to see people playing it for the first time. A lot of people they're going there and they're like, right, I need a headshot like they do in most games. But then you'll you'll see every other player perhaps will they'll go to the body and then they go down a little bit and you're like, oh, I know what this person's aiming for. Mm-hmm. But the celebration as soon as they hit that of them and the people around them, it's uh yeah, there's a lot of fun to be had with those kill cams. Oh, so okay. So I have several questions on that topic, but I want to include a question <laughs> from from Clint Coombs. He he also notes he said he's he wanted me to thank you guys. Uh, just for making games because he's been a huge fan of Rebellion since the Alien vs. Predator games all the way back wow. on Jaguar. Uh, he also loved the Delta Force Black Hawk Down games uh, as well as Sniper Elite. So he wanted me to offer you thanks for those. Uh, did you work on any of those? I'm curious. I didn't work on those. No, they were before my time, but I will pass along your thanks to other members of Rebellion. They will definitely love to hear that. It's always great when you hear things from uh, people that have been fans for a very long time. Certainly. So now the question that he has for you is what was, what was it like in the meeting room when testicle shots came up or when they, they, the discussions of, Hey, we need to get this just not quite right. Was that a fun, awkward, weird conversation? (laughs) It's, I wasn't there for the original meetings for those. Uh, I, I hadn't joined the company at that time, but it is something that gets talked about. And even with every game that comes up, it's still a topic of conversation and there's still always good, there's always that little bit of there's some people that are still feel is it is it a little bit too far some people mm-hmm. are a bit uncomfortable talking about it some people that find it absolutely hilarious and it's trying to walk that line of is it okay and that's with uh, sniper elite it, oh it doesn't take it, it takes itself seriously but then there are elements of it that are a little bit ridiculous and i think that's where um that's what makes it stand out slightly from some other games and gives it that sort of uh some of its heart is that it's yes it's a serious game and all these things are going on and you've got this war but then at the same time it's it's an adventure and yeah you've got this this fun power fantasy and it doesn't always take itself too seriously so you don't have to get too bogged down in how how horrific like the x-ray kill cams are they they are for for people that don't know what you're looking at, if they suddenly came along and saw that going on your on your TV, this huge X-ray kill cam, people are like, what the what is that person looking at? What are they yeah. doing? But but because there's that slight lightheartedness when you play it yourself with things like the testicle shots, it sort of it takes away from the from the how horrific it is, and then you realize, oh yeah, this this is fun. This is a game. This is to be enjoyed. But then at the same time, we as I've uh, been repeating many times already. It's all about player choice. So we give people the options to turn off the x-ray part, turn off cams completely, uh, just have the quick bullet cams so that it doesn't take too too long if they feel like it's too long. Um, or the other side, where some people like to increase how many bullet cams they have. There you go. Some people just want to keep getting them again and again every time. So, that's uh... right. <laughs> that's, that's my modus operandi right there. Every <laughs> time I play one of your games, I will turn that thing to max and watch the gore <laughs> unfold because it is that lightheartedness that balances out the what could be a very serious thing. When anytime you're dealing yeah. with World War II, Nazis, that kind of thing, it could 
it could carry a really heavy weight to it. And so I like to turn that cam up, put the put a difficulty on easy and just watch the the shrapnel fly, the bone fragments and the the grossness ensue because there's something, dare I say, comedic about it in some cases. Exactly. You know? And I think that's exactly it. You're you're right. It's the the testicle shot thing definitely adds to that comedy of it, but also with the the way some of the explosions of it is so so over the top gory that it does become slightly comedic and that's how it just about gets away with being what it is i think in this uh yeah in a modern shooter one, one of the things also and i'm still on the topic of the the cam but not necessarily a kill cam in the traditional sense uh you guys do this really well in the first level and i don't want to spoil anything for later on players but using that camera in a, in a way that lets you see things like there is a, a moment where you uh, uh not a missile, but a bomb or some sort of artillery is fired from a bunker and it lands on a boat. And that camera, the way it tracks and gives you detail and, and the the wind rifts around the projectile, to me, that is one of the coolest aspects that really lets you know you're playing a video game or almost an action movie in, in some ways. And that tends to be how I take uh, take this this series in. That tends to be how I uh, consume it. Uh, I don't know that there's a question there. I just really wanted to compliment that. I think it's really cool to see that kind of stuff. It is. It's great. And I, yeah, I know the cutscene you're talking about and it's, it's fantastic that seeing the, we normally busy seeing Carve Evans bullets slowly going towards the enemy, but seeing this huge, massive shell being fired yeah. and zooming around it, it's just a really cool moment. And knowing that that's, yeah, that's a bad yeah. guy's shell as well. It's like, <laughs> oh no, this is going against me. It's, it's, it's good fun. And there's some, there's some great moments from it there. And there's other now, yeah other points across we do things with our explosions as well where we slow things down and there's an explosion you see the shrapnel flying around those are like one of the the kill cams that are introduced into sniper elite four and again they over the top gory but we added again some of the comedic value of that was there'd be an explosive crate with a toolbox on top of it so it wasn't just shards of metal flying into someone it was a it was a spanner and a hammer and those <laughs> things just made it feel, oh yeah, okay, this, this is a little bit, this is a little bit silly. And again, that's just that balancing act of um, gore and, and a little bit of lightheartedness. You know, in that element of lightheartedness, I, I dare say some of my favorite games of all time have to be the, the zombie army games, which you guys work on and, and implement the same uh, kill cams and such. I would call it a spin-off series from Sniper Elite. Do you guys use the same terms as well? Yes, yeah, yeah, we do. Yes, Zombie Army is definitely a spin-off. It started off as uh yeah, the very first one after V2 was Sniper Elite Nazi Zombie Army, I believe was the the full name of that one. Uh, and then Zombie Army Trilogy, Zombie Army 4. So yeah, they're they're definite spin-offs. They're like the alternate dimension. What if uh yeah, what if uh, Hitler had used occult forces to raise an army of the dead? And it's a very B movie in the styling and the sense of it, but they're they're great fun. I I worked on Zombie Army Four as lead designer on that, and it's a, a hugely fun project to work on, and very different because realism is something you don't have to worry about as soon as you've got zombies in the game, and it's a, a nice sort of a change of pace to the sort of game you're making. It's, it's really good, really enjoyable. Zombie sharks are cool too. That was just yes, cool. zombie sharks are are very cool. They are, uh, yeah, that zombie shark was, was fantastic. As Chris Kingsley came up with the idea for the zombie shark, and it it certainly certainly paid off. It's uh, some good 
poster moments with that zombie shark. I need to jump into the DLC on that one. Um, I think I played the. I think there's two, but I need to jump into them. But I'm curious. Oh, yeah, uh, there's a lot of DLC now. It's good. There's some good fun missions in there. There's uh, yeah, some great stuff in it. it keeps as you do. It already starts off with wacky and zombie army four, and it but it keeps pushing that envelope even further. It's nice. I'm I'm stoked because it is on my list to try out. But I am curious now with it being a spinoff series, how much impact does it have on the mainline series now? Because because Zombie Army Trilogy came out and then you guys had four and then then Zombie Army four and then Sniper Elite five. And like, how much uh, do they impact each other? Do they teach lessons to one another? They definitely do. Yeah, often. There's there's a bit more when it comes to gunplay and things that push itself from. Sniper Elite series into the Zombie Army series just because of the way that is a spin-off. Um, mm-hmm. Zombie Army is suddenly like, okay, we've taken off all those all those rules and restrictions. What things can we do with what we had from from a uh, Sniper Elite, and what can we do with those? You remember those ideas that we talked about? We're like, ah, that's not that's not real enough. That's not feasible. Okay, how can we take that and put it into this game? But it also does work the other way around. There'll be things um, with perhaps some of the sort of objectives we do. They'll be dressed up in a in a much more crazy way in Zombie Army, but mm-hmm. it might be the sort of underlying core to that to the way we want to do the objective or the delivery of some narrative that we're like, actually, yeah, this that could work in Sniper Elite game the next time we're looking looking at that, and um, also just the way you take certain items and objects and picking things up. There's there's a lot of stuff you learn as you go along, and gunplay is one of those. There's as well because the the gunplay is quite different in um in the zombie army games in that they're the sniper rifles are still your main weapon um but with zombie army 4 there's a little bit more focus on your secondaries as well allowing you to go into those and making use of them getting the headshots but it also led us to sort of like actually yeah we could we could lean into that a little bit more in um in sniper elite 5 we're like yeah we we could make our our secondary weapons, uh, sidearms, that little bit more effective. Again, leaning into that player choice of do you want to do you want to stay with just your just your rifle and take that sniper looping around the the enemy area, taking people out of distance, or do you want to make use of your more close quarters weapons? Because in the, some of the previous sniper elite games, we would sort of almost nerfed slightly the secondary and sidearm weapons so that your your rifle is definitely the most powerful weapon in your arsenal mm-hmm. but um ultimately that's always going to be the case anyway we found because it's so long range and it's they're so powerful as they are anyway there you can get those accurate shots at distance without the, the consequence of somebody being close by hearing you um right. so we we lent into a bit more of like yeah what what things have we learned zombie army and how fun these other weapons can be to use um so there yeah there are definitely lessons that get learned both ways on both sides of things and it's good fun it's it's good seeing those and getting to learn from um from the other games you're making absolutely my favorite aspect or lesson i learned was setting traps and things like that using mines and using them well uh that has served me well as i've jumped back into the sniper elite series uh, Ryan, earlier you talked to me a bit about invasion mode, and I kind of I kind of stomped it because I wanted to come back to it later. Uh, now I'd like to really touch on it. I tend to play Sniper Elite as a single player effort, 
but it looks like a lot of efforts have been made to make Sniper Elite uh, a co-op experience and a versus experience via invasion mode. Would you would you mind sharing with listeners uh, the vision that you guys have and, and what it is that you guys are uh, accomplishing with invasion mode and how it's been received? Yeah, so with invasion mode, that really started early on with uh, one of our other designs. We were, we were discussing how how do we make a tough sniper battle? It's like, we're, we're a sniper game. How do we make a really tough sniper battle? Because ultimately, you've got the, the AI snipers there and they do a really good job and you get the glints and you can be a bit like, oh gosh, they're going to get me. And sometimes they do get you, but you die and you can restart back and then you're like, oh, I know where that dude is. I, I can kill him before he's any trouble now. And they're only, they only work really well once, we found quite often. Um, and one of the ways around that is being much more scripted with things and making a scripted battle. But that really went against our kind of sandbox and choice rules that we wanted to to really push in our Sniper Elite franchise. And then we were like, well, nothing nothing beats fighting a human player. And we've had uh, our multiplayer modes um, throughout the the last couple of games. And we're like, that is that is where it's tough. You you suddenly go up against other players. And you're like, well. This person's a really good shot, and you want to be—you stay behind cover, and you are much more careful with the shots that you take. Um, we're like, what, what can we do with that? And we obviously looked at other other games at the time when we were going through this—the the Dark Souls and um, Bloodborne's and how they did things. We're like, yeah, we could we could do something with this, and then we could really get what so many people wanted to see. Um, you see people talk about it on the forums and stuff, and we've discussed it many times, but getting that enemy at the gates feel of a sniper versus a sniper, um, and then ultimately ending up with the that cat and mouse gameplay of um, sneaking around and being super tense. It, it starts off initially, even when you just go in as the allied player with the mode turned on, you're just that extra bit cautious. You know you can take out these enemy AI because you're Carl Fairburn and you can take them out. It's not a problem. You can kill these people with X-ray kill cams and go up close and stab them. And you can deal with that. You've got this whole suite of tools, but you're just that little bit tense. You're like, whoa, I need to, I don't want to go too loud here. I don't want to leave too much of a trace because if somebody suddenly joins my game, then they're going to know where I've been or what I've been doing. And we found it just sort of snowballed from there. The idea was like, yeah, this is, this is fun. It really, really adds a lot of tension to the game. And um, we did initial tests. There's a lot of play testing early on, figuring out how it was going to work, how to not make the Axis Sniper too powerful or too weak. And it's such a difficult balance. And we're going to be supporting this mode for a while. So I'm, I'm sure there will be tweaks to both sides as we go along over coming months trying to sort of figure that out um but we've we're really happy with the with the job we've done um one of the, and things come up from playtesting this is the great one of the great things about game design is we're playtesting an early version of it and we'd always been initially like yeah you'll you'll come in as this axis invader and you're going to have this really cool sniper suit on and you're going to look like a badass and you're going to come through and your people are going to be like, oh no, look, I see him in the distance. Can I take him out before he gets me? But we didn't have that model to start with. So we're like, well, you're going to have to use generic soldier model. And that's what happened for a while. They were just using the normal enemy infantry 
character skin. And then we found people were walking around slowly pretending to be an AI. <laughs> and we're like, wait, this, this is fun. This, this is great. This is suddenly another layer to the gameplay that people can choose to do. And you have people walking around pretending to be AI that you as the ally player sometimes glance over them and don't realize who it really is. And then they'll turn around, take that shot, sneak up behind you, stab you. And it's little bits like that, little nuggets like this that are so much fun when you're making a game, when you suddenly like discover these new, these new features, these new ideas that um, are born out of things you, where you didn't necessarily expect them to come from. See, Ryan, I very specifically said that I was a single player player, and now you're making me <laughs> want to go into those options and toggle that menu and and start invading people's games just to see if I can pull off one of these uh, stealth kills. Definitely, definitely worth a try. And uh, and we know there's a lot of people. I I generally I'm a single player player as well. I play a lot of games that single player, and um, I'd worry about letting other people invade and. That's one of the key reasons we know there's a lot of people like that. So you can turn you can turn this mode off completely. And we're working on ways as well to allow you to invade your friends or be invaded by your friends as well, which softens it a bit for people sometimes because you don't always want to be invaded by a by a complete random when you don't know how good they are. Whereas <laughs> if it's your mate Dave, you're like, yeah, cool. I know Dave, and he's rubbish at the game, so this is going to be great. Um, <laughs> but when we're working with the Axis Times as well, we, we found early on people were coming in and they're just like, okay, what do I do? I'm just going to run and try and find this other person. So we needed to try and get that core loop into the Axis side of things as well, of the observe, plan, execute that we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. So we gave them these abilities to like, right, okay, you don't know what you're going to go into. You need to have a look around and quickly see, is this person that I come up against gone around and left smoking radar dishes and dead bodies all over the place, which means, yeah, you can then make a plan based on that, figure out where they've gone, or is this person left hardly a trace anywhere, in which case it goes very quickly from you feeling like you've got the upper hand to being like, oh gosh, I don't know where this other person is. Mm-hmm. And then you've got to be really careful at observing, tagging your Axis friends that are AI around the map and tagging all of them so that if they spot the player, you'll get informed about it. Or quite often the case when you're up against somebody that's very stealthy, you'll tag 10 people, you'll be looking around, searching, and suddenly you realize, oh, wait a minute, there's only five of those tagged people left now five of them have gone they've been taken out somehow and it it can quickly swap around to being super tense for the axis player and getting that same sort of loop in it's sort of up to you to look around plan execute figure out what it is you want to do how you're going to approach this was a a core part for us into making sure it stays as cat and mouse on both sides it doesn't always have to stay it's just it's always the axis sniper has got the upper hand it can't be changed around. And there oh, was a, a lot cool. of playtesting, but it's great fun. It's, you should definitely try it out if you haven't already. All right. So uh, admittedly, you sold me on it. Like, like without <laughs> a doubt, you sold me on it because I, st- I was staunchly against it. Not, not in principle, but just in terms of my experience. And now I'm like, all right, this does sound super dope and super cool. 
Um, I'm curious now. It's an obligatory question because you said you'd be supporting the this mode for some time, uh, and the game launched into Game Pass. That had to have brought in more players and new players uh, to check out the title. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's that that was great. Being on Game Pass just opened us up to a load of players that may not have got the game so early on or tried out the game early on. And um, with things like Invasion Mode, something that's getting talked about quite a lot in, in the reviews and on various forums and places, it then catches people potentially like, oh, okay, cool. I could I could give that a quick go because it is on Game Pass. And it's been fantastic seeing the number of players trying the game out, giving it a go, and then finding out actually they, they really, really enjoy this and getting new people into our into our games and into our franchise um it's, it's been absolutely fantastic uh, it's been really really great do you know if that was the plan from the beginning or did that happen later on for for what sorry for having on for, being for, on game, game pass? pass yeah uh to be honest i'm i'm not sure that's all above me that's all the business side of things but uh they always have good plans for all of our stuff they they know what they're doing they do very well at that gotcha Gotcha. Well, I, I hope more people do check it out for sure, because it's just one of my favorite series. Um, before we close, uh, Blaze Knight wrote in with a rather technical question. He wanted to know, uh, he says, rather, when you launch a game at a generational switch, how does it affect the development of the final product of the past gen, like, say, Xbox One, uh, to current gen series or ter- current gen versions of the game like Xbox Series S and X? Is there much of a difference for you guys in terms of development when there's a generation switch? Yeah, there, there's obviously there is an extra layer of considerations that has to be taken taken into account of how how do we push this game for the the new generation of consoles, but still make it run and fun on the previous gen. And um, yeah, there's a lot of considerations. There's a lot of discussions about how we're going to make things work, but it's very important that we want the game to be the best experience it can be on on all platforms um and so yeah there's a there's there's some extra work there but it's most definitely worth it because again you reach so many more players and ultimately that's what we want we want as many people as possible to play these games that we have spent years creating and absolutely love and just want people out there to to try them out and give it a go and it's 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 worth that extra effort and that extra work for sure. And things today as well with like crossplay, we've got added in. So that's a that's a new thing for us, and it it's brilliant having so many more people being able to play the game together as well. Especially when we've got our like our survival mode, our multiplayer games, but then before mentioned invasion mode as well. It just increases that that player base and gives people more people to play against and more fun to be had. So cool. So cool. It's it's neat that that's become a staple. Things like crossplay, yeah. that that the idea of more people playing together, regardless of where you are, to me that is probably my favorite thing that has happened to the gaming industry in the past, you know, ten years. Yeah, it's been, it's it's great. It's really really good. I have one final question for you, and that is about Sniper Elite's future uh, and a bit of its past, I suppose. Was there ever a discussion of taking the game? to a different time period we guys we've been all over the place in terms of locales with world wars have you considered bringing it into modern day or uh, a different part of history at any point that's something early on in any games development 
that's when we've got all our blue sky thinking and there's all the millions of ideas and so much stuff goes around and that's when things like zombie army get born because you're like oh what could we do oh yeah this would be amazing and we were always reading what the community are talking about what they want and there's always people discussing oh wouldn't this location this time period be fantastic wouldn't this area of the war be fantastic and there's so many places we could go but um at the moment at least for the current games we're we're happy with the world war ii and following carrying on with carl's story but yeah who who knows in in the future if we if we make future games there's uh there's always a chance that we'll we'll go somewhere else uh we have to see this it's the usual sort of thing when we start yeah. these discussions we go through would this be cool wouldn't this be awesome wouldn't it be that yeah. and ultimately yeah we'll we'll end up somewhere that will be great for the game at that time and making the, the decision that we think would be best for what we can deliver to the players well you certainly got more locales to to take carl to i mean he's easily the most decorated sniper in any history ever <laughs> yeah. at this point uh but you know like pacific theater would be cool in south america there's a lot of options you guys could have if you exactly. still want to keep there's it loads of places and people are very yeah we were always getting people ask us questions. The community team are very busy with like, hey, if you thought about doing this, could you do that? And it's uh, and it's great hearing people pointing out these different locations, different things we can do. Is just it's great for us because it shows how engaged they are in our games, in our series, that they care enough that they really want to say, oh, I think this would be awesome. This would be so much fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and often there'll be things as well that you'll be like, oh yeah, this this location, this time period would be cool. Um, maybe it's not for whatever reason the right time right now, but there might be elements from something there that you've talked about that you can actually get into in uh, whatever your final um, setup is. Uh, so uh, yeah, a lot of the time ideas will spawn other ideas that then lead into something great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's cool. It's, it's funny when people's ideas and excitement for your game mean more work for you, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> ryan baker lead designer on sniper elite 5 ryan thank you so much for joining me let people know uh if you care to plug a, a personal social please do so but let people know where they can find the game play the game and what they should be looking forward to yes yeah, so you can play sniper elite 5 on game pass and you can play on xbox you can play on playstation you can play on the pc on steam it's uh the wind store it's it's a fantastic game and i urge you to give it a go Enjoy the game, make it make it yours as well. Play how you want to play and then jump in and invade some people. It's good fun. Thank you for joining me, man. Thank you very much. It's been my pleasure.